Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Good afternoon and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today is study number 18 of Jeremiah chapter 50. And we're going to be reading Jeremiah 50 verses 33 through 38. Thus saith Jehovah of hosts, the children of Israel and the children of Judah were oppressed together, and all that took them captives held them fast. They refused to let them go. The Redeemer is strong. Jehovah of hosts is his name. He shall truly plead their cause that he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. A sword is upon the Chaldeans, saith Jehovah, and upon the inhabitants of Babylon, and upon her princes, and upon her wise men. A sword is upon the liars, and they shall dote. A sword is upon her mighty men, and they shall be dismayed. A sword is upon their horses, and upon their chariots, and upon all the mingled people that are in the midst of her, and they shall become as women. A sword is upon her treasures, and they shall be robbed. A drought is upon her waters, and they shall be dried up. For it is the land of graven images, and they are mad upon their idols. I'll stop reading there. Now, um, as we're continuing to go through Jeremiah 50, verse by verse, we have seen repeatedly that God is using Babylon as a type and figure of this world, of the kingdom of Satan that has finally come under judgment. After first um, bringing judgment itself against the churches and the congregations as God loosed Satan at the beginning of the Great Tribulation to accomplish the Lord's purpose of uh, using him as a, a destroying instrument, as a servant in that way to bring spiritual devastation to the churches of the world. And uh, these verses are are continuing that same theme. Verse 33 of Jeremiah 50 again says, Thus saith Jehovah of hosts, The children of Israel and the children of Judah were oppressed together, and all that took them captives held them fast. They refused to let them go. Now, this actually can have a, a couple of meanings. First of all, we know that God in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Jeremiah, commanded his people, Judah, to go into captivity. They were to surrender themselves to the Babylonians and be taken captive into Babylon. And spiritually, that points to God commanding his people living at the time of the end, during the period when the judgment began at the house of God, the New Testament church, to come out of the church and to leave their congregation and go out into the world. That would be the the spiritual dimension, the the spiritual tie-in to going into captivity. But there were also some Jews who were... um, That picture here, as it says, the children of Israel and the children of Judah were oppressed together, and all that took them captives held them fast. They refused to let them go. This can have a second meaning in the sense that Satan has also taken men captive through their sin. Remember what we read in in 2 Timothy Chapter 2, it says, beginning in verse 25, In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So here, the truth of the word of God has the ability or, or had when God was still saving during the day of salvation 
to deliver those so that they could recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who were taken captive by him at his will. And so there, there's the one sense of captivity that God uh, uses in the book of Jeremiah of leaving the church and going out into the world. That's likened to the Jews commanded to go to Babylon as Babylon represents the world and enter into a period of captivity. But also, there is another sense where Satan is the prison master and and all sinners are in the house of bondage and and they're held fast by their own sin uh, in in this sort of captivity to the devil himself. And it's interesting here in verse 33 of Jeremiah 50 that it says that they were oppressed together. All that took them captives held them fast. They refused to let them go. And that reminds us of the constant refrain in the book of Exodus that uh, as God commanded Pharaoh through Moses. We read, for instance, in Exodus 4, in verse 22, And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith Jehovah, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. And in Exodus 7, verse 4, But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt, and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. So Pharaoh refused to listen to Moses, and, and he continued to refuse despite the plagues, the miraculous plagues that were destroying Egypt. And in Exodus 10, it says, beginning in verse 3, And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh, and said unto him, Thus saith Jehovah God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. Else, if thou refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow will I bring the locust into thy coast. And we we do know that Pharaoh refused. He consistently refused, stubbornly, proudly, arrogantly refused to let the people of God go. He would not listen or obey the Lord until finally the last plague, the plague of the firstborn, came upon Egypt and and the firstborn sons of of the Egyptians died in the plague and then he let the people go. Well, that's similar to what's being said here in verse 33 of Jeremiah 50. All that took them captives, that's the children of Israel and the children of Judah, held them fast. They refused to let them go. Just just think back to the days prior to May 21, 2011, and the news went far and wide into all the world. Judgment Day is coming, and the command of God was, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Cry for mercy. And did Satan, who was the dungeon master of these elect individuals who were unsaved and therefore they were in the kingdom of darkness, did Satan hear God's command that his people be reconciled to him, that they be freed from their spiritual captivity? And did he obey and say, oh, okay, let me let these elect go free. I'll let them go so uh, they they can go to God because God is commanding them to come forth, to come out of darkness and and to be translated into the light of his kingdom. 
No, uh, obviously Satan has never done that. He's never obeyed God and tried to expedite the process of God's salvation. He he never is helpful. He never uh, is attempting to assist the elect individual to go to God, and and he never unchains him or looses the dungeon. Um, sell so that he can go free. Satan has never worked that way. Instead, he, he'll double lock the chains, he'll set more guards, uh, he'll uh, hinder the process at every turn, he'll do everything he can to prevent that person who is in bondage to sin and taken captive by him at his will to be freed. He fights God and refuses to let him go. And so Pharaoh was a uh, excellent type and figure of Satan holding fast the slaves in Egypt in the house of bondage and he would not let them go. And so too the king of Babylon and the Babylonians who oppressed the people of God and held them fast refusing to let them go ties in with that same picture and they they didn't let the israelites go until later when cyrus took the kingdom and then it wasn't by choice it was by conquest cyrus was the deliverer lord willing we'll look at that a little later uh, when when cyrus did take the kingdom but but let's look at another verse right now in isaiah 14 Isaiah chapter 14, and Isaiah 14 is the chapter where God sets up the king of Babylon as a great type of Satan. Uh, for instance, we read in Isaiah 14:4 that thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How has the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased? And then in speaking of the king of Babylon, God quickly talks of Satan in verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And that is a description of Satan as he is loosed and given rule over the New Testament churches and congregations. 2 Thessalonians 2 goes hand in hand with these verses where we read of the man of sin who has taken his seat in the temple showing himself that he is God. And the man of sin, as well as the king of Babylon. The man of sin is another name for Satan. The king of Babylon represents Satan. And then God says here in Isaiah 14, verse 15 and following, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble? that did shake kingdoms. Now, uh, Satan is called a man because he's typified by the king of Babylon. And then in verse 17, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners. You see, again, here is Satan, also pictured as the king of Babylon, that Open not the house of his prisoners. He refused to let the people go. And and yet at the time of the end, in the days leading up to May 21, 2011, there, there was uh, extreme sense of urgency because God's salvation program was approaching its completion. May 21, 2011 was the end of the day of salvation, the end of the time when uh, all those to be saved must 
become saved. They had to be saved by that point, or it would just uh, wreak havoc on God's plans of times and seasons. Everything is done perfectly according to a precise timetable. Uh, just just look at the biblical calendar of history as it lays out uh, the biblical events and and as we see even the dates of the births of certain individuals Jacob and Esau born 2007 BC and 1000 years later 1007 BC David becomes king a thousand years after that in 7 BC the Lord Jesus Christ is born and we just have perfectly laid dates everything happens according to times and seasons everything in its place nothing uh, out of of sync nothing that is out of the timeline pattern everything follows suit and and this is just the nature of God look at the creation that he has created and its precision when we delve into the things that God has made and created and and we see the amazing way that he has formed everything uh with with numbers and and the tremendous precision that God has taken in everything in the universe uh, everything is so precise and according to mathematical calculations they uh, they're able to launch rockets into space because there is order there there is a, a definite pattern that God has made in the creation that if you can find these patterns if you can find these uh, mathematical calculations you can then order things in a certain way and and you can learn a great deal about the creation and about all sorts of things within the creation and it's the same thing with the bible the bible is a, a exquisitely wonderfully precise book everything in harmony with everything else everything fits together perfectly not a jot or a tittle not a word not a a passage or a chapter or a book out of place everything perfectly coming together in harmony like pieces of a puzzle every word fitting into place doctrine uh, is developed by here a little there a little as we compare scripture with scripture God opens up truth consistently we follow the methodology he has established and set forth in his word and it leads us in the direction of truth and then the Bible itself locks things in. The Bible itself rejects other ideas. No, that's not possible. It doesn't fit with this over here. And it's just the nature of God that he does everything exactly perfectly precisely and and so he ordered events and salvation would be until may 21 2011 7000 years exactly from the flood to the very day according to the underlying hebrew calendar date of may 21 in 2011 it was the 17th day of the second hebrew month which was the exact date that God shut the door of the ark in the days of Noah and brought the flood. And and so the prisoners must be loosed. Just as the Israelite prisoners, the Israelite captives, the slaves in Egypt, had to have been loosed exactly on the day that they were loosed. Uh, remember, they went into Egypt in the year 18... 77 BC in the days of Jacob and Joseph and 430 years later what does the Bible tell us to the very day 
430 years later, they were delivered. When they came out of Egypt, it was on the self-same day that they had gone in 430 years earlier. And why? Why would God do that? Because he orders events. Nothing is done haphazardly, accidentally. All things just happen. You know, really, when we think about how some people view the Bible, how churches view the Bible, how teachers or preachers teach the Bible, they they seem to view the Bible as though there's just a lot of fluff, a, a, a lot of needless things, because they don't look into every word. They don't dig into every word. They they read a verse or, or a passage or a chapter, and they're looking for a moral teaching, uh, a, a nice point that, that can encourage us all, something that, that can help us live our lives as we, we go to work this week. They're, they're looking for the natural, the physical element of the Bible. They don't understand its depths. They don't understand the spiritual riches that are within the Word of God. And they certainly do not understand the wonderful, beautiful, um, cohesiveness and, and harmony of the Word of God. They, they read words and, and they just think, oh, if, if the Bible says it was a sunny day, it's because it was a sunny day rather than looking at the word sun and seeing how it's used and and so forth. Yet God has taught his people to carefully consider everything that is being said and done. Everything has a purpose and is placed there for a very good reason by the Lord. And he has a definite timetable for the working out of his salvation, the working out of Judgment Day, the working out of everything that is in the Gospel, in the plan of God in the Bible. Well, all right, let's go back to our verse in Jeremiah 50 and verse 34. We'll move on to verse 34 now. Their Redeemer is strong. Jehovah of hosts is his name. He shall truly plead their cause, that he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. This is an interesting place for God to bring up the Redeemer. Their Redeemer, that is the children of Israel and the children of Judah, have a Redeemer. And their Redeemer is strong. Now, it makes us wonder why God is bringing up the Redeemer at this point. Remember the previous verse spoke of the captives and and the Babylonians headed by the king of Babylon refused to let them go. Well, their Redeemer is strong. He will redeem is, is the implication. And uh, just to remind us in Galatians chapter 3, it says in verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. He has redeemed us, he has bought us, he has purchased us with that price of his own blood, his own life, and he has made us his own. We no longer belong to ourselves. Well, let's look at um, the word redeemer or redeemed uh, in the Old Testament and especially the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 43, Isaiah 43, we'll read the first three verses. And there it says, But now thus saith Jehovah that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. So here we have God referring to Jacob and Israel just like he did in uh, Jeremiah 50, verse 33. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. 
when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am Jehovah thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. And remember the significant thing that finally delivered the Israelites out of Egypt was the death of the firstborn of Egypt. And in the, the death of the firstborn, we have that figure of the atonement, of the redemption, the redeeming work that Christ performed on behalf of Israel. And also the, the reference in verse 2 of Isaiah 43, when thou passest through the waters, uh, I will be with thee. And that reminds us of Israel going through the Red Sea. Now in Isaiah 44, it says, beginning in verse 21, Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant. I have formed thee. Thou art my servant, O Israel. Thou shalt not be forgotten of me. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Sing, O ye heavens, for Jehovah has done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains, O forest and every tree therein. For Jehovah has redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. Thus saith Jehovah, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb. I am Jehovah that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself, that frustrateth the tokens of the liars, and maketh diviners man, that turneth wise men backward, and maketh their knowledge foolish, that confirmeth the word of his servant, and performeth the counsel of his messengers, that saith to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be inhabited, and to the cities of Judah ye shall be built, and I will raise up the decayed places thereof, that saith to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up thy rivers, that saith of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built into the temple, thy foundation shall be laid. Well, isn't this interesting, how God, from verses 21 um, through 24 especially, mentions redemption. He is the Redeemer. We, we read that word redeemed a few times. And then, again, verse 27 mentions the Red Sea that saith to the deep, Be dry, and I will dry up thy rivers. So there's a reference or an allusion to the coming out of Egypt um, when God brought Israel through the Red Sea and the Egyptians attempted to follow him were drowned in the sea. But notice in this context of redemption, yes, we have another reference to Egypt, but also Cyrus appears in verse 28. Where did he come from? And what's he doing here? Why in in this wonderful context of redemption, the Messiah, Christ as the Redeemer, why is Cyrus uh, being referred to? Cyrus is a heathen king, the king of, of the Medes and the Persians. Well, we know he's a type of Christ, as as it says here, that saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. And actually, chapter 45, verse 1, it says, Thus saith Jehovah to his anointed, to Cyrus. And the word anointed is the word Messiah, as it's translated in Daniel. And and so clearly, Cyrus is a picture of Christ. Yes, but when does Cyrus make his appearance in the Bible historically? Why does God speak of him as his shepherd? Why does God speak of him as his anointed one? Cyrus is the king, also known as Darius, that we read about in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 5, towards the very end of the chapter, when the king of Babylon and his lords and princes are having a celebration feast, and uh, 
And then the king of Babylon sees the writing on the wall, and this disturbs him greatly so that his knees knock together. And then finally Daniel is called to interpret the writing, and and the interpretation is that God has taken the king of Babylon's kingdom, and that's it, he will die that very night. And later on in that same night, the Medes and the Persians take the kingdom. Darius takes the kingdom. He comes like a thief in the night. And it is the year 539 B.C. Seventy years have passed since this 70-year period of desolation for Judah took place, beginning in 609 B.C. at the death of the good King Josiah. And now 70 years later, the, this long, decades-long, grievous time period has come to an end for Judah. And that 70-year period, we know, typifies the Great Tribulation. And the Great Tribulation actually worked out to be 23 full years. And, and so when Darius takes the kingdom... That night, at the end of 70 years, it is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ coming as a thief in the night at the end of the Great Tribulation. And the Great Tribulation concluded when? May 21, 2011, to the very day. Remember, it began the the day before Pentecost, May 21, 1988, in the 13,000th year of Earth's history. 23 years later to the very day, and that day also happened to be that 7,000-year landing mark from the time of the flood to the very day, with the underlying Hebrew calendar date of 217. See how God double-locked that particular day in, with it being the 8400th day of the Great Tribulation, the exact 23rd year, and also that landing point for the 7,000 years from the flood to the very day of the 17th day of the second month. There's no question God's hand is on that day as the completion of the Great Tribulation and the Day of Judgment. And that is when Christ came as a thief in the night spiritually to judge the world. And he's such an excellent thief the world doesn't even know that it was judged as God shut the door of heaven, ending salvation for this world, taking away their greatest treasure that the world could ever possibly have had, and that is the potential, at least from man's perspective, the potential, the possibility of being saved. Now that potential has ended God has finished his salvation program and Christ has come as a thief to steal those riches from mankind. And Christ also came as the deliverer. He came in the sense that all of his elect had been found and all had been saved. And so it was sort of just as Cyrus took Babylon Cyrus, King Cyrus of the Medes and the Persians, soon issues a proclamation that all the Jews that were in Babylon can return to Judea. They can go back to Jerusalem. He actually encourages them to return to build the city Jerusalem, to build the temple and so forth. And And so it's a wonderful, beautiful picture of deliverance. Cyrus, the deliverer, he's the one that's really in the same vein as Moses. Moses was the deliverer from Egypt, as the Jews would follow him out. And it's Cyrus who frees the captives from Babylon. It's Cyrus, the anointed one, the good shepherd, that sets the Israelite captives free so that they can leave Babylon. And that's a picture of deliverance of salvation that God is tying to redemption. That's 
That's why all these references to redemption lead us to Cyrus. Now in Isaiah 48, in Isaiah 48, uh, I'll read verse 17, then we'll skip down a, a few verses. It says in Isaiah 48, verse 17, Thus saith Jehovah thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am Jehovah thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. And then in verse 20, Go ye forth of Babylon, flee ye from the Chaldeans, with a voice of singing, declare ye, tell this, utter it even to the end of the earth. Say ye, Jehovah has redeemed his servant Jacob. And they thirsted not when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them. He clave the rock also, and the waters gushed out. Once again, we see redemption tied together with going forth of Babylon. Again, in Isaiah 48:20, Go ye forth of Babylon, flee ye from the Chaldeans. And then at the end of the verse, Jehovah has redeemed his servant Jacob. So God is picturing the going forth of Babylon, and they could only go forth. It was only possible for the Jews to go forth once Cyrus took the kingdom at the end of the 70 years. They must wait. And notice also in verse 21 of Isaiah 48, They thirsted not when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them. He clave the rock also and the waters gushed out. Now, I don't remember reading that when Israel went forth out of Babylon. Uh, Maybe I missed it. Uh, Do you recall reading that the Israelites, when they came out of Babylon, were thirsting in the desert and then God caused waters to flow out of the rock for them? on their way home from Babylon? No. No, that that didn't happen. What God has done is mixed the historical images. He's brought together the coming out of Babylon in verse 20 and mixed it together with the coming out of Egypt in verse 21. Now, how can he do that? No wonder people say the Bible's full of errors. They can't even keep their deliverances straight. And, and these things happen hundreds and hundreds of years apart. How could God, from one verse to the next, and he's speaking of being delivered from Babylon, make such a mistake and describe an event that happened in the wilderness when Israel had come out of Egypt, not Babylon? Well, of course, the obvious answer is, spiritually, they picture one and the same thing redemption, salvation. It pictures deliverance. God delivered all the Israelites out of Egypt. He didn't leave one behind. And they came forth out of the house of bondage as Pharaoh ruled over them, a type of Satan, and they were delivered. And likewise, the Jews came out of Babylon at the end of the 70-year desolation and they were delivered to return to Judah. And in both picture great salvation, complete salvation, the time when God has redeemed the last of his people, the last um, name who whose name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life was found and and redemption was applied to them. The, the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus Christ was complete as he applied redemption to every soul. Well, let's go to Micah, Micah chapter 4, and we'll read verse 10. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion. And daughter of Zion would be a reference to the elect. Like a woman in travail, for now... Shalt thou go forth out of the city, and thou shalt dwell in the field, and thou shalt go even to Babylon. So the daughter of Zion, the elect, will go forth out of the city. They'll leave the church, and they'll go to Babylon. 
which is the world. So this is telling us what will happen at the end of the world spiritually. God's people will no longer remain in the city, the corporate church, but they will go forth to the field, and the field also, what are we told in Matthew 13's parable, the field is the world. So it's doubly emphasized, thou shalt go, thou shalt dwell in the field, thou shalt go even to Babylon. Now notice what it says next, there shalt thou be delivered. There Jehovah shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. You see how God in this one verse is laying out his end time program for the end of the church age. So you must go forth out of the city and go to the world and in the world outside of the churches and congregations. God had a plan to save a great multitude. And, and he accomplished that plan by sending forth the gospel to the nations of the world through his people who were located outside of the churches and congregations through the latter rain as the waters of the word of God covered the earth as the waters covered the sea. And the Lord was able to do this through the electronic medium that he had raised up and and therefore it was a pure gospel. It was a gospel of truth and a gospel that um, was proclaimed faithfully. And the people of the world heard the message of the approaching day of judgment. And God used this pure word, no longer contaminated by the doctrines of the church, by particular denominational positions or stances, no, that this was um, just the Bible alone, no confessions and creeds, no uh, positions of reformers that that are in stone within the church, but just the Bible and God uh, greatly increased the truth through opening up his word at the time of the end. And this unadulterated pure word went forth and accomplished the purpose God sent it forth to do, which was to save the last of his elect. And it was in Babylon, in the world, that there would be this deliverance, here pictured as the giving of birth, like a woman in travail, there thou shalt be delivered. Now we talked about this before, how God views the elect as a child in the womb that was knitted together before the world was. At least that's the language used in Psalm 139. Let me turn back there. Psalm 139. And it says in verse 13, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. So here we might think God is just talking about any child or, or David himself perhaps as he's, he's made in his mother's womb. But notice what comes next in verse 15. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought. In the lowest parts of the earth. Now what baby do you know that is wrought, worked, or made in the lowest parts of the earth? I only know of one. And that's the child that would represent all of the elect. The body of Christ that was knitted together, fashioned, wrought in the lowest parts of the earth as the Lord Jesus descended into them from the point of the foundation of the world to make atonement for them. And as he paid the price of their sin and atoned for their sins, he formed them. They became uh, a living thing, really, uh, in in the sense that uh, they would be born at some point, and God had now guaranteed their salvation so that they would come together and they would 
become the body of Christ. It goes on to say in verse 16, Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. What book is that? Where all the members of this body were written. The Lamb's book of life. As God recorded the name of every single individual he intended to save. In a figure, there's no actual book. But it's all uh, referring to the infinite mind of God. But it's written there with an eternal pen that God has recorded the names of everyone. And of course, he would never forget them. And then time unfolded. The, the world was created, time unfolded, and God began to search and find these people forming that body, forming the, the child, that child that had been formed from the foundation of the world was beginning to take shape until finally came the last one to be saved And that would be in Babylon, in the field, outside of the city, the church. There thou shalt be delivered. Now, now once the baby is completely formed, what happens when God physically forms a baby in the womb and he's done forming it, done fashioning it, it's completed its growth? Well, the baby must come out. It must be delivered. It must be born. And and that's the picture that God is giving. There, at Babylon, thou shalt be delivered. There, Jehovah shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. That's just a wonderful picture. Another way of looking at God's salvation. We're the bride of Christ. We're also the child of God. We're, we're his children. And so he has formed us and... Uh, it, it's just interesting how God ties that to Babylon. Uh, how incredible it is how God writes of Babylon in um, connection with harvest and and now connection with deliverance, connection with redemption. Uh, it, it It's amazing that this one city, one nation of Babylon is so key and so central to many things that the Bible teaches. In Isaiah chapter 47, and this will be the last place we turn uh, in this study, in Isaiah 47, I'll begin reading in verse 1. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal. Uncover thy locks. Make bare the leg. Uncover the thigh. Pass over the rivers. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will not meet thee as a man. As for our Redeemer, Jehovah of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit thou silent, and get thee into darkness. O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called the Lady of Kingdoms. And then it continues. But again, what's interesting is that God is talking, describing the judgment upon Babylon, and he mentions vengeance, as we have seen in Jeremiah 50, and it'll be also seen in chapter 51, that uh, God is taking vengeance on Babylon. It's the vengeance of his temple because they dared lift up the hand against the corporate body that had the name of God. And again, is it just because God inserts in verse 4 the name Redeemer? As for our Redeemer, Jehovah of hosts is his name. Why there? Why in that place? In the middle of discussing taking vengeance on Babylon. And notice what comes after in verse 5. Sit thou silent and get thee into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans. And that, of course, uh, fits with 
Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened and the moon will not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven. As Babylon is taken at the end of 70 years, and that 70 years typifies the great tribulation, well, at the end of the great tribulation comes darkness. The vengeance upon Babylon relates to darkness. As we, we read in Revelation 18, it says in verse 23, And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. So it's so dark that not only do you not have the sun or moon or stars to shine, but not even the light of a candle. And there's other scriptures too that that emphasize the spiritual darkness that comes upon Babylon. And, and so yet right in the middle of God saying, I will take vengeance, get thee into darkness, Babylon, the Lord mentions that he is the Redeemer because of this tie-in with his people being delivered out of Babylon, being redeemed, and now free to return to Jerusalem. And, and that would eventually be the return of God's people to Jerusalem above. We uh, we do return spiritually. We're already in the kingdom of heaven. We, we have our citizenship there. We're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But there is um, that actual final uh, formation of the new uh, heaven and new earth, which is likened to new Jerusalem, that, that will take place shortly according to God's plan. So let me read again, and then we'll finish. Jeremiah 50, verse 34, Their Redeemer is strong. Jehovah of hosts is his name. He shall truly plead their cause that he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. Well, unfortunately, we don't have time to continue looking at the rest of this verse, but uh, Lord willing, we'll pick this up when we get together in our next Bible study in Jeremiah 50. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.